Welcome to Hopeful, Not Helpless, the podcast that aims to empower listeners with hope. By listening to this podcast, you will gain the knowledge and resources you need to take action and make a positive impact in your community. Trevor Gardner has always believed that education is the most powerful way to transform society to be more just, healthy, and equitable. This is why he chose to become a teacher and why he has committed his life to teaching and leading in schools in the Bay Area for over 22 years. Gardner taught high school English and history starting in 1999 and transitioned into school leadership after 15 years in the classroom. He has also founded and or facilitated multiple youth development and leadership groups, including Bay Area Youth Gone International, Project Engage, and the Facing History Student Leadership Group. He is currently the Director of Teaching and Learning at Arise High School in East Oakland. He is the author of Discipline Over Punishment, Successes and Struggles with Restorative Justice in Schools, and the editor of Leading in the Belly of the Beast, School Leadership in a System Designed to Fail. Welcome on. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to me today. Hi, great to be here. Okay, so to get started, can you please give me a general overview of the work that you do? Um, yes, there's, uh, there's many different facets of the work I do, but really what the, the central piece is, I'm an educator. Um, I have been a teacher and now a school leader for 23 years. This is my 23 year, 23rd year in the Bay Area. Um, I started off as a classroom history and English teacher um, and transitioned into uh, what my position is now the director of teaching and learning um, at a school called Arise High School in Oakland. So yeah, education has always been the foundation of the work I do in the world. Um, and it has always been grounded in classroom teaching, but, uh, but has expanded beyond that in a number of different ways with, with different projects and organizations I've been working with. Yeah, thank you. So how did you get started with this kind of work and why kind of did you choose to get involved in what you're involved in right now? Yeah, so I, I always tell people I feel like being a teacher chose me instead of me choosing it. I was a pretty naive, idealistic 22-year-old um, just out of college when I moved to the Bay Area and really just, just looking for um, some work that included uh, activism and, and working towards justice mm -hmm. and uh, stumbled upon what I thought was a substitute teaching position, which turned out to be a full-time teaching position wow. at a school in, in the Mission, San Francisco when I was 22. And um, it was a, a school, a special school, special services school for pregnant and parenting young women. And um, that was really my introduction to teaching and education and an introduction that really taught me fundamentally that teaching was not about content or books or history or English, but was really about relationships um, and, and serving the community. Um, and so uh, I you know, was terrible at it, I'm sure, at 22, my very first year. 
um, and you know learned a lot over time. But what I what I knew by the end of my first school year is that it was something I loved to do, something that gave me energy, and something I thought I could learn to be good at. Uh, so, yeah, um, I. I, I love this story. I, I have this story somewhere in my brain. I don't know when or where I read it, but there's a, um, an Indian philosopher. Um, he, he wrote and um, spoke a lot about education named Krishnamurti. Um, and I remember reading a story where he was talking about um, how to change society and that a lot of different actions um, and a lot of different activism uh, were like throwing sticks in a river, right? So we choose to um, you know, take this action or go on this march or sign these petitions or, or whatever it was. And he likened it to throwing sticks in the river, but the river is still flowing in one direction. And he said, the only thing that, uh, that you can do to change the direction of the river is education. And so that really stuck with me and still continues to be um, you know, I've learned a lot more deeply what I feel like that means, but, um, but it's still a story uh, that sticks with me about like why I got into education, why I continue to be invested in education. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you were trying to find some avenue to get involved in activism. So would you be able to kind of explain how you're doing that right now through education? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel, I feel fortunate to have a sense of integration uh, in my life that, that I think education is fundamentally about activism and about changing society, changing the world, if you do it right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it can, it can have all kinds of different impacts on young people, but I think if, if you do it right, then it can have a transformative, a positive transformative impact. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I still teach, I left the classroom five years ago, but when I left, I continued to teach a leadership class because I felt like it was important for me to continue to be close to the classroom. It was really hard leaving the classroom because the connection with the students is, is um, what gives me the most energy and what inspires me the most. So I've continued to teach a leadership class um, and that's been uh, a key to, you know, how I, um, take action and, and think I have impact through education. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it, it is uh, a profession that naturally lends itself to, um, to making change, right? In fact, it's, it's hard not to when you're in the classroom. Uh, and, you know, I learned that, um, I have so many moments every year when I learn that, when I have students come back to me and, um, you know, students I, I remember connecting with or having a relationship with, or I don't, and they come back and they say, oh, you had this impact on me, or you changed my life in this way, or I remember you because of this, right? So, um, so I think that is, it's hard, like, it's, it's not like a lot of uh, justice professions where you're focused on a particular change you want to make in society. Right. If I'm working on um, disrupting the prison industrial complex, right, I'm, I'm, you know, doing my activism and focusing my work on that. Or if I'm focusing my energy on <clears throat> um, the environment and climate change, you know, I think a lot of a lot of professions that uh, that people get into um, in order to have an impact on the world and justice are, are specific to um, certain arenas, but education is really about 
like like I said, changing the flow of the river, right? So in my mind, it's like I'm I'm trying to um, help open some minds and, and change hearts in ways um, that uh, folks go on to you know to to spread that impact beyond just my classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really amazing, and I can say that from a student's perspective, education is such a huge part of our lives as we're growing up. So it does have a huge impact on us. And like you mentioned, it has to be done the right way. So would you also be able to share how you take, what kind of steps you take maybe to make sure that the right things are happening in the classroom? Yeah, so it, it may sound a little cliche or trite, but I start every school year uh, by telling my students, I'm gonna learn more from you and they're always like, oh, Gardner, come on, what are you talking about? And it's, and it's always really true, right? I mean, I, I, um, I learn about myself, I learn about teaching, I learn about the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that really speaks to um, how I see myself as a, as a teacher and, and now as a school leader, right? As really a, a servant teacher and a servant leader. And it's, it's gotta be about um, collective learning. Uh, and and it, it's coming up for me right now because the conversation in, in the time of COVID learning and distance learning and learning on Zoom makes it really challenging to create a vibrant collective space in the classroom. And so it's actually really hard. And I've had these, these very explicit conversations with students who are saying like, it's just not the same, right? I don't have other students around me. And so I just, turn my camera off and kind of fade and become, um, you know, a, a passive participant instead of an active participant, right? So, so for me, like the, the right way to do education is, um, is to be a learner in the classroom with students uh, to help facilitate uh, their critical thinking, right? Like absolutely I bring some ideology in the classroom. I bring myself into the classroom and I bring justice in the classroom um, in a number of ways, from the texts that I choose for us to read uh, mm -hmm. to the conversations that I frame us having. But ultimately, it's about students um, building a sense of agency um, and learning to, to really think and believe for themselves. And, and ideally, you know, this doesn't happen all the time, but ideally to love learning, right? I, I, I have a son who's in eighth grade. And uh, I tell them all the time, I tell him all the time, and he rolls his eyes every time. I'm just like, if, if anything, I want you to learn to love learning. Because that's, that's the gift that, that um, you know, will last for your entire life. And if you, if you learn to love learning, then, uh, then you're going to do anything you ever want. Um, and so I try to uh, infuse that with my students, um, not always uh, successfully, at least not immediately successfully. Um, but um, yeah, so that, that sort of collective learning space. And then the other thing I would say is, uh, is agency. Uh, I think schools are set up to teach students how to be passive and how to follow the rules and how to do what they're told to do. Mm -hmm. and not necessarily to take their agency and be active and carve out their own path. And so it's tricky within this institution that's set up in a certain way to try to work outside of that institution um, and, uh, and you know, cultivate a different path for students. But 
that's certainly what I what I try to do with um yeah with my classes and and even with um with educators that I work with. Mm-hmm. I think that's really incredible, and definitely one of the main purposes of education is to set students up for the rest of their life mm-hmm. and just learning how to follow the rules isn't enough those aren't the skills that we need for our future so I think it's really special that you have your priorities straight and you are being a really amazing teacher thank you mm-hmm. so kind of going off of that do you think that there needs to be significant change in the school system? Yes. <laughs> so I, I recently wrote uh, and um, edited a book called Leading in the Belly of the Beast. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the subtitle is um, School Design or School Leadership in a System Designed to Fail, right? And that's the title of the book because I, it, it, I, I really feel like, um, like many of our institutions, schools are part of this, uh, this beast that creates um, oppression and injustice in our society, right? Whether it's the prison industrial complex, um, whether it's structural racism, uh, whether it is um, mechanisms of, of poverty, I think school is, is part of those institutions and that it really um, is an institution that was set up uh, for some students to succeed and for some students to fail. And it's served that purpose since its inception in this country. Uh, and that, um, you know, I, I really want to do all that I can to, to confront and disrupt and dismantle that system so that, uh, so that it actually serves a different purpose, right? And so it's, you know, the, the title of the book is uh, School Leadership in, in Systems Designed to Fail because I feel like it was designed for that purpose for some students, right? Mm-hmm. And until we see different outcomes, right? You know, there's a, the saying that, you know, systems produce the results that they were designed to produce, right? And so if we see schools as not broken, right? But actually as functioning well to serve this purpose they were set up to produce, I think we, mm-hmm. we approach um, change in a different way, right? And for me, until we see the outcomes um, that are that are equitable and just for all students until we until we see um, different outcomes outcomes where um, students living in poverty outcomes where students uh, of color outcomes um, where students with disabilities who are marginalized until we see those students having the same or better outcomes as middle class white students then the then the system will have continued to um, to successfully produce results, right? And so, so it's tricky. That's why I say like working inside the institution because right now the, the schools are what they are and it's gonna be a long time of confronting and dismantling to change that. Um, but I think that's the important work of, of educators in every classroom and in every school. Uh, and I'm, I'm hopeful, I believe that, that it can be changed but it's gonna be, it's gonna be a lot of work and a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if people aren't educators, but they want to see these changes in the school system as well, what would you advise that they do? Mm, that is a great question. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, school is one of the only, if not the only institution that every human being in this country growing up mm-hmm. is required to interact with, 
right? You have to, you legally have to go to school until you're, it depends on the state, 15, 16, 18. There's no other institution like that. I mean, you know, folks have to pay their taxes, right? But other, otherwise, there's no institution that, that everybody's connected to. So I would say, even if you're not an educator, you're connected to, um, to schooling. Um, and so uh, I think find, find the way that you're connected. Mo for most people, that is as parents, right? And so I think as parents, um, you can have uh, an impact um, that is more just and equitable. On, on schools and on the school your children go to, or you can have an impact that is unjust and inequitable. I think there's this tricky place for parents where especially more privileged uh, middle-class parents where that choice involves, well, I'm, I only want to, I wanna do what's best for my child, which of course is a natural um, response for any parent, right? You always wanna do what's best for your, ch your child. But I think oftentimes that comes into conflict with um, one's desire to, uh, to work towards justice and equity in the world. And that's a really hard crossroads to come to, but I think if you really stand on the side of justice and, and equity, when that, when that crossroad comes, then you have to do what is more equitable for schools and for education. So I think that's one, one powerful way that parents um, can, uh, can, use their leverage to impact schooling and education. Um, and, uh, you know, I think one other simple way there's, there are education bonds all the time in every city and county. Uh, I'm super fortunate, Oakland is uh, super supportive education and every education bond that's come up in the last several years has been supported. I don't know that that's the case in every city, but I think that's another, um, that's another way for parents um, or for people in general who aren't educators to, to lean on the lever and, uh, and bring a little more justice in education. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how would you say that you have seen yourself making a positive impact in any way? And are there any specific stories that stand out to you in your experience? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the most powerful things about being a teacher. Um, especially a teacher for a long time is um, the the feedback you get frequently from former students who you've impacted, right? So it's really a, a, a beautiful and inspiring profession in that way. And, and, you know, oftentimes it's not till a year, two years, five years, 10 years down the line where you're like, oh, I did have an impact, right? Um, <clears throat> um, so uh, I think it like there there is the individual lives that you connect with and you touch, um, and I I do believe and and have faith that uh, that in whatever small way um, I, I have an influence on you know the students who are who are in my classroom. A lot of the students who are in my classroom and in my school. Uh, mm -hmm. Ideally, the hope is that they. Um, you know, leave school and do something like you're doing, right? Which is which is creating a, a podcast focused on justice and social change, or um, you know, serving on the the local school board um, and you know, and pushing for justice in that way, or or working for the company, right? And being a voice um, that that resists the status quo in whatever company that they work for. The the most recent story that. Um, that I can think of because it just happened yesterday. Uh, and so to sort of 
summarize because it could be a long story. I, I started a, a nonprofit about 15 years ago called Bay Area Youth Gun International because I recognized the power of international travel and I, I wanted my students, many of whom who hadn't, um, some of whom who hadn't you know, traveled far beyond San Francisco and the Bay Area, let alone got on an airplane with a passport. Um, you know, I wanted to help uh, foster this experience of international travel with them. So I started this organization and we took uh, for several years um, students to Venezuela um, to learn about the, the, some of the social and political changes that were happening in Venezuela. And um, so this one group of students, anyway, fast forwarding to today, I just, uh, a friend who was um, our tour guide um, for several years um, for those Beijing trips in Venezuela recently reached out to me and just said, you know, Venezuela's going through some really hard times right now. Uh, and said, I'm really struggling. I recently got COVID, my wife just got COVID. We have these huge clinic hospital bills. Can you help financially? Um, and I helped some financially, but it just, it just wasn't enough, right? You had these sort of compounding bills. And so I put out on Facebook, just a message like, you know, my friend is struggling, can anybody help? And uh, just yesterday received a message from, from two of the students that went on the trip who reached out to uh, a few of their friends who also ran out, went on the trip and uh, they donated $500 or almost $500 for, um, for this friend whose family is struggling in Venezuela, right? And so I just think of like, on some level, it's a very simple thing to donate money. I mean, it's a, it's a good chunk of money, right? Um, but on some level, it's, it's pretty simple, but just to think of the, um, the different connections that had to happen for that to be true. Um, and the fact that, you know, they, they, were, they didn't have to respond to a Facebook post, but clearly this experience and knowing um, this friend down in Venezuela had touched them. Uh, and so they were willing to, to sort of reach out and, and donate this money. So, <clears throat> um, so I think that, you know, that's one concrete, small, but significant example of how something, some experience from you know, 15 years ago continues to live in the lives of these these now not so young people, right, who were teenagers at the time, um, you know, and, and is going to have a profound impact on, on our friend's life in Venezuela. Um, so, you know, you multiply that times, uh, you know, hundreds and thousands of different interactions like that, um, it becomes significant. Yeah, that's really special. Thank you for sharing that story. Mm -hmm. So moving on to kind of the next portion of the interview that comes out of this podcast's name, Hopeful Not Helpless. Hmm. Have you ever felt helpless? And did you take any specific action to eliminate that feeling and move forward from that? Yeah, I love that question. I love the, the name, by the way, um, <laughs> next with, with my philosophy of teaching around, around agency. Um, I, I can't say that I've ever felt really helpless. Um, I think one, I've had incredible privilege in my life that has allowed me and supported me in, in doing a lot of the things I do. Mm -hmm. um, two, the profession of, uh, of teaching, it's really hard, it's really challenging, but for me, Helplessness is, is not a word I would associate with, with the work I do. Um, 
I would say that I have often felt like I wasn't sure if what I was doing was having any, any impact, right? And so I can say now looking back, like, oh yeah, there's all these students that, that reach out and there's a lot of things, but, but sure, all the time, every year and, and even with COVID every day, uh, I struggle with um, whether or not what I'm doing is, is genuinely having impact um, in the way that I want it to, right? Students feel really far away right now and they're really struggling with, with pandemic online learning. Um, and there's some, some really deep uh, mental health stuff happening. There's some really deep struggles um, for families. And so, um, yeah, I think that, that wonder about impact and always wishing that there was more I could do is a, is a common feeling, but I wouldn't call it helplessness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And I think it is really hard when you can't feed off of the energy of other people. As a student, that's definitely been a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. it's, it's harder to kind of communicate and make those connections when you don't feel like you're actually together. Mm -hmm. But yeah. definitely something that we're all practicing and trying to get better at. For sure, yeah. Okay, so moving on. What does hope mean to you? So I, I, I'll start with a, a quote by, um, by one of my new, uh, yeah, a, a new literary hero of mine and somebody who I think is just amazing, doing amazing work in the world. Her name is Valerie Kaur. Um, she wrote a book called See No Stranger. And uh, she said, she has a quote that laboring for justice with joy and love is the meaning of life. Wow. I think it's, I think that, I mean, some, maybe I'm paraphrasing something like that, right? But th this idea that, uh, that the the labor, the struggle, the work of um, of fighting for justice is 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 the meaning of life, and you have to find joy and you have to find meaning in that. But it's not gonna we're never gonna arrive, right? There, at least not in my lifetime, right? And probably not in several lifetimes. So, to me, hope is the embrace of that. Uh, you know, hope is. Hope is in the action. Hope is in the work, right? It's it is in um, knowing that you are committing to something that that is going to bring, you know, more justice, um, going to bring a better world, right? There's another quote I love that's super simple by James Baldwin. He said, "Hope is invented every day." So. Um, so that's, those two quotes are, are it for me in terms of the meaning of hope, right? It really is about the commitment to um, creating a better world and doing what you can to create a better world. And that in itself produces more hope, right? So hope is, I don't think hope is uh, a noun, it's a verb, right? It's something that you are always doing and it's something that you're continually generating. I love that, yeah. So what would you say brings you hope? Uh, man, again, I'm, I'm so lucky to be in this work that brings me hope every day. 
uh, you know, working with incredible young people that I get to work with, seeing them um, struggle and succeed, um, seeing their brilliance and the way they shine in the world, right? Seeing, seeing them become, uh, you know, these, these older, more full human beings is, is certainly an incredible source of hope. Um, I, you know, I have, I'm super fortunate to have an incredible wife and life partner who shares this similar vision of the world. And so um, being in this work with her gives me incredible hope. Like I can, I can step back and admire her and the work she's doing and her commitment to justice. And, uh, and that in itself brings me hope. And then knowing I get to be in partnership with her in this work. Um, and that that is just part of who we are uh, and part of what our life is about and um, part of how we're raising our 13 year old son uh, gives me hope. And um, yeah, and, and similarly, uh, I look around and I see so many, you know, I have a, an incredible staff of teachers that I work with and uh, an incredible community of folks. And I just look around and I see all the people who are giving their lives to, to create a more just world and, uh, and it's beautiful. And so it's hard not to have hope in, in the midst of that. Yeah. That's really great. So the last question I have is, how would you advise others at home that may be feeling helpless right now to go out and find hope? Yeah, it's a great question. First, I would say um, just I would be compassionate with them and, and push them to be compassionate with them themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, that hope is is hard to come by right now. You know, we're we're feeling disconnected. We're feeling distant from one another. Um, the uncertainty uh, of of the the days, months, years ahead is is really challenging. Um, so, you know, so I think compassion, self-compassion is, is super important. The, the number one thing I would say is you gotta, you gotta find your community of folks that are doing the things and being in the world, how you would like to be in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, like I said, I, I started teaching at 22 and, um, from the students I worked with, from their families, and from the educators I worked with, like I've I've really learned what it means to be a fully human, a full human in this world, and to me that it, that involves uh, hope and it involves um, you know the work I do to struggle for justice, uh, but that only came through community, um, and so I think uh, that's it's got to start with that building a community of folks who who are doing and are being um, in ways that you, you dream or imagine you wanna be. Mm -hmm. That's really great advice. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And thank you again for making the time to come and talk to me and share all your words of wisdom. Yeah, I love being here. Thank you for doing this. That's it for this episode of Hopeful Not Helpless. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join me again for the next episode. 
And remember, you can never be helpless when you have hope.